0: So we're rolling. Cool. We are live. This is You're Doing It Wrong with Mark Henderson Leary. My name is Mark, and I have a passion that you should feel in control of your life. And so what I do is I help you get control of your business. And one of the ways I do that is by letting you listen in on a conversation between two people who have a passion for excellence in the entrepreneurial world. And they're talking about something you already know something about, but this time they're getting deeper, digging in and getting into the details so you can take away some nuggets and some new ways of thinking that help you unlock your challenges so you can break through the ceiling and really get what you want from your business and ultimately from your life. So before we dive in for our guest today, I just want to remind you, please share, subscribe, share with your friends, give us feedback, positive and negative. Everything you can tell us is so helpful and we appreciate all of it. My guest today, I just, I'm always excited, I'm always excited, but, uh, but today I'm especially excited because my friend uh, Mark O'Donnell is the visionary of EOS Worldwide, and if you don't know what that is, that I, I, some people don't, but it's sort of the foundation of how I'm here, why I'm here, and it's such an important part of everything I do every day. But uh, as an entrepreneur in his own right, welcome
1: Mark O'Donnell. Hey, Mark. Uh, thanks for having me.
0: Well, man, I, I want to get right to two critical questions uh, mm-hmm. that I think most people would want to know more about. And what is one is, what is a visionary, and specifically the visionary of EOS Worldwide? What is that about? And you and I also talked about getting into this concept of the EOS life, which is really the reward for... Doing things right uh, and living that your very best life, which has a whole bunch of things we can kind of unpack. So one at a time. Start off. Let's talk about this visionary thing. What What is that for you?
1: Well, I think it's important to to go back to the foundations of what we teach at EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System. Uh, most organizations would have the visionary title as CEO or founder or something of that nature the way we do it since we don't really believe in titles we just call the seat what it is and what it does visionary integrator sales seat marketing seat op seat finance seat we don't really give titles in that way and so that leads us to the the title of visionary and so Visionary is simply seeing around corners, it's setting the vision and the culture for the organization. It's the, the person who's climbing the tree and looking out what's going what we're gonna experience in the next five, ten years, or whatever time frame you choose. And so really that's that's the role and I'm not the founder of EOS Worldwide. And so it's a little bit of a unique position. And what's even more unique about my role as visionary at EOS Worldwide is the fact that most of the time an entrepreneur starts a business or they're, they're maybe they're the visionary second generation and they're looking for an integrator and they go out in the world and they, they search for an integrator. I'm a little bit different because Kelly Knight is a, our integrator and she was integrator when Mike Payton was visionary <laughs> and she actually went out in the world looking for her visionary. And so it's a little bit in reverse and the the, from the way it normally happens and so uh since september um i've been the visionary of eos worldwide and the role there is really the classic visionary big ideas relationships driving culture a little bit of pr is in that uh component for me so that that's really what what i do at eos worldwide and and working with the team there and hopefully that answers your question
0: Yeah, without getting too distracted on this Mm -hmm. point, I see a lot of... when the founder is the visionary, that's normal, common. We we kind of right. expect that. Yep. Uh, when the founder wants to retire or move on, or something happens, maybe they fall out of love with the business uh, and they want to do, pursue other other things. The detr- the uh, replacement of the visionary is something I learned to caution people on. It's it's not like replacing your head of sales. Like it's 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 like a heart transplant. It's like you really got to take it for uh, take it seriously because. You become oftentimes kind of the high priest of what's right and wrong in the organization. Um, and so it's it, so perhaps I, I may have given it a little more gravitas than you'd feel comfortable with at this point. So speak to that point of, of how, do you, how do, do
1: you address the situation of a visionary uh, changing of the guard? So I think it's interesting because in, I had a conversation with Dan Sullivan uh, last week. Actually, it might have been earlier this week. <laughs> it's been a long week. Uh, where he's talking about institutional inertia and a lot of the the transition here at, at eos you start with gino we starting to build it the business gets to the point where he he, he joked that we have an employee manual now and so i'm done
0: <laughs> right yeah he, <laughs> said,
1: it, he said i it, swore i would n- i would never work at a company as soon as we have an employee manual
0: i'm, I'm out he's and- out
1: yep <laughs> And, and he devoted 45 days a year to building EOS Worldwide and did a fantastic job in those 45 days. And so when Mike Payton… And
0: that, that bears underlining, right? The 45 days. He only gave 45 days a year to building that organization in addition to the rest of the things he did to make money and do other things, which yeah. I ha- highlight that because that needs to come back
1: up when we talk more about what the EOS life is. So. That's for sure, yeah. So Mike Payton takes over. He's also a full-time implementer. And I don't remember exactly what his days are, but it's really about honoring the past and then looking forward into the future. And so making that visionary transition for myself is how do I avoid institutional inertia, take all the learning forward with us into the future, take all the good stuff, leave the other stuff behind and rethinking that and there's a lot of value that comes into those transitions especially from a, an organization from an enterprise value perspective being on the third round of uh, third three times removed from the founder it shows that the business model is is viable it's growing there's just tremendous value there when you don't have these the earnouts and the the all the different things that come along with that institutional knowledge that can't be torn out of the visionary's head, well, we, we did it at, at EOS three times. So that, that point, I think, deserves
0: some extra attention. The replacement of the visionary, the, hand, the handing over of the baton, is dramatically different in experience depending on how well structured the organization is at the time. For sure. Because because clearly, Gino's whole uh, obsession was structure and franchisability. That, that's the essence of it. Uh, so if your organization is in the early stages of trying to get organized and structured, and you as a visionary just wanted to wash your hands of it, the replacement person is a very different person than, we've got a really well-oiled machine, and I want to leave and, and maximize. That's a very different uh, experience entirely. It is, and you, and you, you, you luckily, and for, for everybody's benefit, are, are taking over a very well, well-oiled machine, and and you're you're trying to take it to the next level, not trying to fix a whole bunch of uh, dysfunction.
1: The, yeah, that's right. I mean, we, we don't we've run EOS at EOS, <laughs> go yeah, figure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, although we, you know, we're PE owned, so we're technically not target market for our, for our <laughs> own system. <laughs> um, <laughs> But we, we run EOS and we run it just like any other entrepreneurial organization. We just do our best and sometimes we do things great and sometimes not so much. And, but you're right, the, the structure of EOS has allowed us to go through those ownership changes, has allowed us to go through leadership changes, by and large, without skipping a beat and allowing, freeing us up to focus on the future and where we want to go all the while honoring where we've been. You know, another thing that just kind of hits me, I,
0: I'm frequently coaching clients and business owners that people changes are good. Like you want to do them more often than less. Cause I do see some leaders who get really upset. Like every time we meet, there's somebody who needs to be removed from the team. I'm like, that's actually good because you need to create change and get the right fits for the for the jobs and, and you clearly had a lot of people in this organization who didn't fit and, and that's why you had the problems you had. But when I look at EOS worldwide's track record over the last three years, it has been intentional people change after people change. It's a constant normalized this is healthy, this person's tenure is over, this person's, you know, we've, we've got a new seat open. It is on display uh, what it is for healthy people changes uh, going on. So it, it's, I mean, as somebody who's in the community, it's, you almost take it for granted. And so it's nice to kind of go, we've got this really great firsthand model of, of how this can work and why it should work. For sure, yeah, yep. Well, so let's talk about the EOS Live then.
1: Sure. let the EOS Life. All right. So uh, a couple things with the EOS Life. So uh, Gino is launching a new book coming September of 2021. So it'll be uh, launched around that time frame. And I have a secret mission, I have to say, that we will have over 50,000 pre-orders of the book and that, that's my, my secret mission uh, for Gina, which I'm sure he appreciates. Uh, so the EOS life is, is five things. Okay, So it's number one, doing what you love. Number two is with people you love, making a huge difference, making a big impact in the world, being compensated really, really well, and having time to pursue other passions. So that, that's what the five things are. Doing with what, doing what you love, with who you love, making a huge difference, being compensated well, and having time to pursue other passions—that's the EOS life. And when we work with clients, it uh, unlike other operating systems. What's at the core of EOS is entrepreneurial freedom. It's not profits while you get some. While it's not about growth while you will experience it. It's about entrepreneurial freedom and living according to your unique ability, like Dan Sullivan calls it your sweet spot. So doing what what you love, surrounding yourself with people who share your core values. You love being with them. And so you get to be your unique, authentic, I call it your six-year-old self. <laughs> like we're just a bunch of six-year-olds hanging around with people we love hanging around with. And yet we're making a huge impact in the world because we are free from everything. We are authentic selves. We can have a huge impact on the people we work with, the people we interact with. We run these entrepreneurial businesses. We employ f- people who have families who take care of one another. And so to the degree your, your home life is impacted when you're your authentic self, you're, everything you do is just better when you can be surrounded with people you love doing what you love being your authentic self which will free you up to create tremendous value to the world which will lead to being compensated appropriately in accordance to the value you're providing and you'll have time to pursue other passions to spend more time with your family and do all the things that entrepreneurs kind of struggle with. Uh, entrepreneurs generally are pretty boring if they're right. not balanced. I, I've been pretty boring, trust me. Uh, even yeah. recently, <laughs> um, not not pursuing passions, not having a life that's fully integrated and imbalanced. So that that's really what the EOS life is all about, and and the the tools of EOS provide a platform for you to live those five things, whether you are intending it. Or not. So we get this question somewhat frequently, and uh, Mm -hmm. it is how
0: how much profit does the average EOS company begin to to typically get out of the process? And I've classically responded, "So well, there's there's a number, uh, but that's not the question. The question is uh, what percentage of of EOS companies get what they want, which allows you to requires the question of what do they want." How often do you find entrepreneurs who are um, either confused about what they want, unclear what they want, or just attached to the, to, the, to the profit sales side of things as being the only thing that could matter?
1: Yeah, I think that's a good question because uh, I, there's a, a story that, that Gino tells when he was creating EOS where he, uh, asked, he hired a marketing company to go market EOS, And what happened was they interviewed EOS-run businesses at the beginning stages of of when Traction was written and things like that. And they said, what is the number one thing that you get? And the response was, I'm living a better life. (laughs) And they're like, well, how in the world do I sell that? So how do you market living a, a better life? And really, that's what EOS is about. It's about living a better life altogether so we can't really how do you measure that? Well, I can't really measure that because it's in the eye of the entrepreneur. Most entrepreneurs I find when they start their business, they dream of, you know, sort of the the tech company billionaires or selling a company for a lot of money and living a life on a beach doing nothing all day and and that's kind of what they dreamt of when they started their company and then They go a few years later and they're like, oh, I'm working 80 hours a week and I'm not living the life of of luxury or freedom that I thought I would and I'm working harder. And so, What I tell clients is that you'll get a 10x return on our work together and we'll measure 10x in any way you want. Revenue, sure, we can get there. Profit, yep, we can get there too. Freedom, time, we can get there as well. It's just a matter of what you focus on uh, that you'll get. And we'll design rocks around that. We'll design your VTO, your vision traction organizer around that. And we can get you there. Do you find that people
0: resist the uh, feeling of freedom that comes with that? Like you start to make some progress and suddenly it's not as hard. That people kind of like, this doesn't feel right.
1: Right, because they they expect it to be, um, they feel a little guilty actually. And in, in a lot of ways, what I find is that entrepreneurs, their their entire identity is wrapped up in they've created a personality of someone who works 80 hours a week, who you know ignores their family half the time, who um, is just a driven, ambitious person. So they've created this entire identity around it. And so when they say, yes, I want freedom and they start implementing the tools and they gain the freedom. Well, now their entire identity is being ripped from them and they f- feel guilty, bored, all sorts of different things. And the reality is just going through a little bit of an identity crisis of being this hard charging, ambitious 80 hour work, uh, work week person to, Oh, I only have to work 20 hours a week. I have more freedom. I'm making more money than I was before. And so it's a little bit of a, an identity crisis. And the reality is, is they they, um, they wanted freedom, but they didn't think about a, a future that is bigger than what they built, so they they start to lack purpose and they need something else to do. Uh, and so that was rambling a little bit,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, it was, but it, I think it touched on a couple of things. And yeah. so my my next question is really about how do different people on the leadership team, different seats, different different persona, maybe um, experience it? A visionary very commonly experiences what, what I oftentimes refer to as visionary guilt. Yeah, I'm like suddenly it's too easy feeling. That, like I'm out of the office. I'm I'm doing what I love. Like part of my job isn't does actually involve golf. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't involve working in the in the you know in uh, pouring over the finances and, and those kind of things. And so a visionary experiences this freedom differently than say a, an integrator. Uh, how do you see? How do you see those comparisons?
1: Yeah, I think it really starts at the top and it works its way down. And so if we could get every. Visionary entrepreneur to be living the EOS life, those five things that I mentioned. Then it's the integrator's turn, and you go through the process of delegating and elevating, and as a continuous process over and over again. Eventually, the integrator gets there. Then each leadership team member, either all at once or one at a time, once they're there, then the next layer down, next layer down, until you get to the point. I mean, my ultimate dream is uh, so my. My secret tenure target is to help a million people live a life they love. In other words, you have a million people uh, living the EOS life, and that can happen vertically <laughs> or horizontally, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, one company, for example, if you obsess about the process, you can have every single person in a 150-person plumbing business living the eos life it is possible if you focus on it intentionally and my belief is that if you do that you actually will grow faster you will be more profitable because you're going to be creating such tremendous value in the world Uh, the the people who are fully living the eos life will be better parents they'll be better spouses better friends uh, better humans in general so you said a second ago
0: top-down. Let's talk to that for yeah. a second. Mm-hmm. How do you reconcile this top-down, live live the U.S. life versus um, a concept of servant leadership where we should really be serving our employees first and working b- backwards towards our own goals? Sure. How, do you, how, do the, how do those
1: fit together in your mind? So I know it's probably been a while, but you've been on a flight, I'm assuming. You've taken <laughs> an airplane? <laughs> yeah,
0: it has been a while. This yeah, is true. Yeah.
1: So when the flight attendant is doing the pre-flight checks and they talk about the oxygen mask, what do they say? Put it on yourself first. Put it on yourself first and then help the person next to you. I, I believe that if you are not at your best, you will not be of much use to others. And so from a servant leadership perspective, a, a visionary cannot be a, a hair on fire, run around, putting out fire, solving problems all day, and be a great leader and manager for their people to help them free up their time, to get them to live the EOS life, so forth and so on. So I, I, I just think that you have to take care of yourself in order for you to be a great leader in any capacity.
0: Yeah, I think that's great, and I agree. And the way I've seen that is, is twofold. One is... Uh, It becomes. It is worse. It's do as I say, not as I do. It's 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 out of integrity. It's like do something that I can't show you, which leads me to like they might not know how, and your job it might be to teach them and to show them, and leading by example uh, is really the best way to do that. And and I think a lot of leaders they think they know how to do it and they've subordinated their own needs for so long. They're like, yeah, I've read the book. I'll get there when I get time. And, and when they try, they're like, actually, I don't know how to take care of myself yet. Right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to really get a sense of that and take some exercise. Um, and then, then you can move yourself into being this really good lead by example. Um, watch what I do and you will get some of that too. And I've also found that um, cultures with good leaders have good followers. And followers are people in this in this context there's, there's all kinds of leadership definitions but in this concept it's people who have said, you know, I don't want to lead this ship and I'm glad that you're doing it. And when you do well that's good because that means what we're doing is working and if you get good rewards and free time and if you look like you're living happy and healthy that means I'm feeling valuable because I'm doing my part and I'm going to share in the reward in that and I'm fine with a smaller piece of the reward because you have a bigger piece of the risk and and that's what good leadership is about really being out there um, taking the biggest sh- part of the risk up front um, and really working to protect the community. Right. So there is there is a, all that to say, um, I think really good, healthy, most cultures, they want to see their leader doing well, that that is that is a bellwether of good things happening. And they want their leader who is fighting the fight for them to get rewards, feel rewarded and have esteem for their position and the significance that really is in the company and in their lives as somebody who can help provide for them and for their families.
1: And what I think you end up with is a purpose-driven organization where all the human energy is rowing in a singular direction to achieve a single goal. And so we'll take us Worldwide as the example, right? So we have 100,000 companies running on EOS. Well, if we all believe in what we do and we have 100,000 companies running on EOS... And we understand the EOS life that we're we're secretly getting people to live in this way. I mean, think about the impact. And so that that's just a tremendous. That's a dent in the universe uh, type organization. So that's really exciting, right? You just you just have all these people who um, have a singular purpose For within sure. any organization.
0: And, and that yeah, that's exactly right. So when when the leadership is seen at its best. It, the, the leaders who are most willing to take risks for that vision, and that's the part of the equation, right? So it's when it's when it's a personal thing. When there's no clear vision, and it's a and it's a it's a cult of personality organization, or it's just me and you, and there's a tension of culture or a culture of tension that's around performance. It's between individuals. You have this very personal, like, how do I perform in your eyes? And are you mad at me? And and there and it's and the leadership is very difficult in that situation because you start to see the performance of your individual and in the and the the feedback you have to provide somebody is like it's about me. Like I'm a jerk. I'm tough. I'm not. And then, but then you do what you just described, and you've got a vision, and it's clear, and you've done the work, and it's on a document, and it may be in you know throughout the organization, it's externalized. This is where we're going. This is a piece of the future that we can all see together and row towards. Now it's not personal. Now I, there's a vision, and I just want to help us all get there. And everybody starts to see other people, including the visionary and the integrator, as people who just have a role in that, a function to to do something very specific to remove the obstacles to make that vision real, and we're. all we all want that vision it's not it's the ego's out of it it's like we all believe in the vision and we all just play a role and it's it's powerful when we can kind of get ourselves out of
1: that it really is and and if you look at what we'll just continue to use the us worldwide as the example if we were an organization that was a result of a a cult of personality being Geno wickman writing the author of the books the creator of the system if he had a desire to be the hero, the, the face, and we would just be followers of his as opposed to building a culture that is purpose-driven and mission-driven of making this, living the, f- the five things of the EOS life and achieving a goal, we would not near, be as nearly far along as we would. The enterprise value would be less because he could never leave it. He, he's he's out there uh, and, you know, you look at, uh, same with, with Mike Payton and myself, ultimately we have no desire to be the hero. None. It's about how do I have a, create a, an army of people that are mission driven, that are purpose driven, that share a culture and a, co- and a set of core values to make a humongous impact in the world. If we were not that, we would just be a completely different type of of business and I I firmly believe we would not be nearly as far along as we are. Let's talk to that point because it
0: it struck me how true what you said is and people who don't know you listen to this you know i know you i've I've known you before you were the visionary of this organization and so when you say like i don't want to be the hero like i i know how true that is um and it's and i was thinking about like well what's the difference because i've talked to and i'm sure you have too these these visionary leaders who uh they rave about their culture and their people and they brag about them in a way that is unrealistic that makes me go I bet this person, and I, and I find out later that they're a little out of touch, that they that they're that they do kind of have a spotlight addiction, and part of what they're bragging about is a culture that really isn't as good as they think it is, and they're not as in tune with them. But you are in tune. You mean part of that's because you come from the community. I mean, you, we were in the yeah. community doing, you know, you were you were a. You were a enlisted off enlisted so you know foot soldier for a long time and now now you're in this and so that that creates a sense but i speak to that how does how do how do people get plugged into really mission driven as opposed to you know quote-unquote mission
1: driven ego driven leadership well i think i'll I'll just kind of take you through my my journey to become an EOS implementer, and then really just kind of falling in love with the the mission and the impact. And it, it took a little bit. It took a little bit, to be honest. Because so I, I started as an implementer, and uh, I was running my companies, and started using the tools. And what I saw around the room was all of a sudden all these aha moments that were occurring with my clients. And so I was experiencing the purpose. I was experiencing people living and beginning to live the EOS life and being more confident. And so I fell in love with the results that I was getting as a business owner. And uh, as in, then an implementer working with over 80 companies and doing hundreds and hundreds of sessions, I quickly realized that it was about, we, we've created a platform of, of impact for people and my job was really just to usher them along the journey. It wasn't my job to be the smartest person in the room. It wasn't my job to wow them and and be the, the, the star on the stage. My job, it was really about them and, and just having them experience those continuous aha moments, those continuous times that they've come into my session room and crying and tears coming down their face and saying, I just want you to let, let you know that I've become a a better father, a better husband, a better whatever it is. I've, uh, my employees, I I had uh, a person um, come up to me, he, it was, we're not supposed to have, and I tell this story often, we're not supposed to have sessions in the client's space, right, and for whatever reason I did, Long-time employee. This buddy by
0: space just to make sure it's, it's like in their, their office. office. If in we have office, a session yeah. in their office. The distraction level is potentially it's super high. Charts, you yeah. can't get work
1: done. Yeah, yeah. And and, and we started at six a.m. Uh, to, to avoid that and you know set up barriers and things like that. So I'm walking to the the restroom and a gentleman comes up to me and says, "Hey, are you that EOS guy?" I'm like, "Yep, that's me. Guilty as charged." And he said, hey, "Just so you know, I, I've worked in here for over 20 years." And for the very first time in those, I think it was 26 years, I actually look forward to coming to work every day. And I was like, oh, (laughs) didn't expect, didn't see that coming, didn't expect it. And he just said, look, we have a clear vision for the organization. We have clear core values and we're hiring and firing and, and all the people who we all knew shouldn't be working here, but we've tolerated for so long are now gone uh, we we are more profitable yes but it's really not about that it's about clarity and it's about being a mission purpose driven and so all of these moments that i've experienced as an implementer made me realize that we are having and we have the opportunity to to be a a, a beacon of light in the world a Uh, I use the analogy of a lighthouse in the storm and that's energizing that that is leaving a legacy versus just making some money because I could go and and be the hero I can go be the hero put on a great show for a session and walk out of there Um, but would I have the long long lasting impact that I would if I um, just make it about them and, and not about me and so I think inside businesses, inside my clients, the ones that do the best are the ones that have a clear purpose, cause, passion, a core focus, like we call it. And they just, that's what really drives them. The rest of it's just icing or a byproduct of being purpose-driven.
0: Well, this conversation I think has gotten to some real depth, and what I've what I'm struck by is that there's two separate topics we started off with the EOS life and what's a visionary, and they sounded kind of separate. And now I'm like these are really the same, uh, and there's and there's even a third point like impact, right? So, and I guess that's kind of embedded in the EOS life description, mm-hmm. but just for keeping it triangulated, let's say there's an impact third piece of this. There's the visionary and what that function is and this EOS life. And I don't think it's a coincidence we're talking about this uh, and how they all combine together to like be clear on on the impact we're trying to make, uh, living this amazing life that gives you more energy and leading an organization um, in, in, the, in the best way possible. I, and I, looking at that said, looking at the five uh, outcomes of the EOS life. Uh, I, I think that they don't always manifest equally, right? You know, doing what you love, okay, that's a question. Like, do I love this, do I not? With people you love, do I like these people, do I not like these people? You, you might you might get one of those on any given day, and you would have to think about the other. Um, you know, making a, making an impact, making a difference, that goes into that third piece, uh, really making the impact. Um fairly compensated in whatever way, which sometimes that's money, sometimes that's time. Uh, and some days, you know, that's that's kind of here or not. And then time to do other things. And what are other things? It might be create new companies, spend time with family, your recreation, which ends up being sort of this fuel for a better person. But after having reviewed all that, I would love for you to kind of tell me a little bit about your journey in past lives, current recent lives and current lives of how the EOS life has manifest for you. And, and, and how did you sort of um, inventory it and assess it. I'm guessing you didn't just sort of flip a switch one morning and say,
1: oh, bam, they're all here. Yeah. And, and I think throughout your, your journey, you do go in and out of all of those things. And as long as you're intentionally going through a, a process and following what I call divine hints, you, you you make progress along the path of those five Divine things. Divine hints. Yeah, and I'll explain what I mean by that.
0: Yeah, I love some examples. It's exciting.
1: Yeah, so I'll just start with the first one with doing what 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 you love. So for me, you know, I started my career as an engineer in pharma, of of wow. all places. Yeah, and worked for for big pharma companies, um, and there was parts of that that I. Loved and parts that I did not love. So I didn't appreciate the bureaucracy of, of working within a pharmaceutical company as an FDA-regulated industry. There's lots and lots of roles appropriately so. But it's like being an engineer with one arm tied behind your back. And so yeah. there were some components of that. And I ran big projects. Uh, you know, I was 23 years old running $250 million projects for a big pharma company. And um, all the, the experimentation, the testing, I just loved all all of that. Uh, running the business side of those projects, I loved all of that. But then when it came down to like actually doing the work, not so much. I was good mm, at it, okay. but I, did, I didn't really like it that much. So I just... I really realized that there's some things that I just am drawn to and I didn't know why. And that's why I call it the divine hint is like, for whatever reason, I was just fascinated and motivated by the business end of a, of a pharmaceutical project and, and producing a drug and less so of the actual engineering and the tedium of documentation and all the other things that came along with it and (laughs) the bureaucracy that goes along with it. Like, well, why can't we just, do it this way. It's much more efficient and effective. Well, you know, this group doesn't make as much money and this is going to make me look bad and I'm not going to, you know, outlive or, you know, move up the corporate ladder. So I started my company then as a, uh, engineering consulting business with my brother. And we, I was systematically getting rid of the, the things I didn't like about pharma and keeping all the things that I did running projects, being creative, and focusing on the business side, running my business of engineers serving serving pharma. And it, we, we would talk about that as the delegate and elevate tool now. I didn't call it that then where you have these four quadrants of love great, like good, don't like but good, and, and don't like and not good. I was just systematically over time following – the things that were fascinating and motivating to me, those divine hints, and I didn't know why I liked it, and I didn't know why it gave me energy and had passion around it, but I just kept following it. And I think one thing to know about me is that the way I grew up was my brother and I had infinite freedom growing up. Uh, of course, you know, growing up in the '80s, uh, parents were not. You know, as intensely focused on their children as they are now. It was a much safer now. world, apparently. It's a much uh, well, more yeah, dangerous it, world it, now. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't, but we didn't know any better. No, because, I know. You know?
0: <laughs> I look back at my life, and you've had the same. I'm sure yeah, it's like that right. was not safe. I'm I'm glad
1: I'm alive. That, that's right. It wasn't. I mean, my brother and I would go for 40 mile bike rides in the you know, yeah. and I, we didn't even have a phone. We didn't call my parents. She, yeah. my mom, didn't even know where we were. Uh, <laughs> and so I was homeschooled. And we traveled all over the the world, and uh, my brother and I, being 15 months uh, apart, we were given infinite amount of freedom to do whatever we wanted. So, for example, I finished all of my high school curriculum that was required by the state of Pennsylvania by the middle of 10th grade because I was given infinite freedom to go as fast or slow as I wanted. Wow, and so you were um, smarter than I am. That's for sure. I no, know I just had to. I had no like. We t- we needed to learn calculus, so we rode our bikes to the Walden bookstore and bought a book on calculus and taught ourselves calculus. Okay, because we just had to pass I, a test. Right? I, I, we, can, we, I guess I can
0: imagine that's that's interesting because yeah. I can imagine very. I don't want to get on that rabbit trail. And you yeah. know, you and I should talk about that later, but yeah. uh, you know. That's interesting. That's
1: anyway. Continue. So, just to give you a sense of, I um, did not grow up in a way that social norms would box me in, or the you should do this or you should do that to be a normal kid in the, in the United States. Uh, so, I didn't have any of those constraints around me, and so starting our businesses. Well, why would you go do that? Well, why not? Like I. There's no constraints to our thinking uh, in that way. So it was actually a big advantage to be a homeschooled kid uh, in a world where, you know, my dad was at work and my mom was doing whatever she was doing. And sometimes we were in a classroom, but rarely. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It was just kind of up to us to do whatever we wanted. My brother and I, my sister, different story. But so we, we just went through and... Uh, So we started our company fast forward and just to give you an idea of no constraints on the way a business should work, a way we should behave (laughs) Uh, and, and having the total freedom to pursue those things that were interesting to us starting at a very young age. If you like it, just go do it because no one's going to stop you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so we we started our company. We merged it. We started growing very quickly. um, We had four partners. I, just kept continuing continuously delegating off the things that were, were getting boring to me. So I would go start a, a new office in a different state. And as soon as it got boring, I would ditch it because I would just find, Oh, well someone else could take that over. I'll, I'll just find someone to replace me here and, and move on continuously just following those divine hints. And so when I came to, um, Came to U.S. in a very strange place, which was at the Pentagon, having lunch with a three-star general, and I uh, was hosted by Jonathan Smith, who you know and who. I have a very similar mentor. story. I have I've
0: been in that room, and I, I I think I only had a two-star general at the time. Ah, and I um, had. It's, <laughs> it's that's a great Jonathan core value story.
1: That's because Jonathan wasn't your host, I guess. No, John, um, well, Jonathan was my host. Oh, he actually. was. Oh, yeah. interesting. That's cool. Um, so anyway, uh, being introduced to EOS. Then getting really passionate about those aha moments that I was seeing on the other side of the table, teaching the tools and really just, again, following those divine hints of, for whatever reason, I'm really interested in this. I'm just going to go do this now. Having the freedom of thinking to just, why not? Just going to go do it. And so I did. And so the same with my implementer business, then going to coach, head coach, then visionary, just continuously following those divine hints as i go i don't understand why they're there i don't understand why i'm super interested and excited and passionate about one thing and not the other but i think my job here is just to follow it and see where it goes (laughs) just pull the thread um and what i found too is that the more i do that the more i learn the more capability that i create for myself and the result of that is I'm compensated more and more and more and more as I go. I think a lot of people in the world they um, they're penned in by their thinking, their capability, and their learning. And the result of that is their the the way they are compensated is reduced in a lot of ways because they just simply aren't adding more and more value to the world they're not gaining more capability and therefore they're just not getting paid more uh, you know uh, patrick mahomes you know big contract right 500 million dollar deal people complain like why in the world is this kid 23 years old or whatever getting paid that much i've been working at my job for 15 years and i have you know i'm not making a fraction uh, of that and i haven't gotten a raise like that like well you also haven't been. You've just done the same thing for the last fifteen years, over and over again. Your capability hasn't risen. You're not any more experienced than you were before because you didn't obsess about learning and getting better and growing. You're not following the divine hints, and it's holding you back.
0: Well, one of the themes that's coming up in several of the interviews I've done is mm-hmm. this relationship between building skills uh, and versus building relationships. Sure. And and what you described there didn't necessarily line up exactly with that so I'm curious what your thoughts are on uh, well what I heard at one point was that people are kind of socialized to build asset value internally in one of two ways and one is to think of the skills they can they can gain, the knowledge they can consume, and the books they can read. And this is sort of the craftsman mentality and, or scientist mentality of like, I am the tool and I need to be a better, better tool. Uh, and then there is the relationship model, which is people are the source of value. And that the more I can have a better use of network and, and have relationships, those can parlay in, into very different assets. And I guess maybe I'm going to want to expand my thinking because I've, I've kind of oversimplified it in the past that you know there's a linear growth to that first A first model and there's an exponential growth to the second model but i heard you describe that maybe there is an exponential growth model in the first one too if you're thinking in terms of skills that have multiplier impact but you know my my thinking is half baked at this point sort of react to that how how do you think about that exponential impact in terms of what are the things that make the exponential impact possible
1: so it it's interesting because as you grow your personal capability you then find yourself hanging around with different types of people because people will help you iron sharpens iron right and so as you continuously upgrade your skills you're going to be in contact with different types of of people that are also on a similar journey and path to you so I don't look at the relationship building and the the exponential. Hey, I know a person who could do this for me. Do that for me, which is an exponential growth factor. But you have to actually get to the room. You got to be able to get into the the room and be curious about what are what are people at who, at a perceived higher level than I. What, what are they doing? What are they learning? How are they thinking? What's different about them? How can I get myself into that room? Well, I got to gain a bunch of skills to get into that room, and then once I'm there. And your network's expanding, your relationships are expanding, everything you do is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So I, I I think the your personal capabilities and skills and relationships are all intertwined with one another. You you can't be if I'm a very low skilled person who has no desire in getting better or growing, uh, Then I'm just going to be with people who are on the equal playing field as me and I can try to network all I want. It's just nobody. (laughs) It just won't go anywhere because I have no value to offer them. And if I don't have any value to offer them, well, chances are my network's not going to go anywhere. So you just got to be a really useful person. In order to, grow yeah, use, those
0: uti- there's utility there, and so I, I, I don't know that we're going to get to the bottom of this because I think we're kind of seeding more questions and answers. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I do think that I do think it's something to the priority that if your primary goal is to sharpen your skills, that's going to create a different animal than somebody whose the primary goal is to create relationships, even if you're also interested uh, in doing the other. And so, if I, I think that matters, and, and there are those people particularly in a place like Texas, Mm -hmm. where we have people who... Self-describe is not that smart, and they seem you know they seem simple. They dress simply, and Texas is really good at doing this to you. They, you know the 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 guy who just has the jeans and the and the, and the beat up boots and you know and just maybe wearing like a golf shirt that he's washed like a thousand times, uh, and you know this person is very possibly the billionaire in the room. Yep. Uh, and and will and you learn that you learn to identify after a while, but they will self-describe as you know I'm not that smart. I just got a good friend. And, you know, and I was able to ask the right question at the right time, and, and you know, it'd be one thing if there was one person or two people that that happened to, but, like, you know, you start to see the pattern after a while. People who manage relationships uh, and have, I guess what I'm pointing to is there's a second level of intelligence, right? It's, it's like, maybe they, well, actually, as I'm, as I'm unpacking this, I'm finding, sometimes these people, when you ask, them like, well, when did you graduate? Oh, I graduated at 13. I'm just, pretending <laughs> you know, there really are i think there's a persona that goes with that but there's also people who are kind of the second level of it they don't necessarily have that engineering background but they they can they can judge character really well and they can make really powerful connections and their sense of of ethics are really high and they, and they make hard decisions around really important decisions and so i guess what i'm kind of po- pointing to there is that uh, after having so many of these interviews uh, done the people part of this conversation is not to be underestimated. But it is a recipe. You are, you are putting ingredients around capabilities that might be technical, that might be emotionally intelligent, uh, but there's no part of this equation as a leader that doesn't involve high-order skills with managing people and relationships.
1: Yeah, and if, if I break that down, I would talk about it in, in just a, a manner of growth. And, you know, when I talk about skills and following those divine hints, you know, so part of that is uh, having great relationships. That's a skill that can be learned and grown over time. Uh, Emotional intelligence, IQ, all of it can be grown. And so... I think just the the most successful entrepreneurs that I deal with, and my personal approach to life is that you can improve on quite literally every aspect of your life, and it's all intertwined. And so, if you look at Texas and, and uh, the millionaire next door, uh, I think it's Dr. Thomas Stanley talks about, you know, what does the typical millionaire next door look like? And they drive the F one hundred and fifty, they buy watches that are pretty cheap, and you know, so they're just very um, regular people but what you dig under is that they're obsessed with growth and learning and the curiosity that's never satiated they just have a continu- a mindset of continual growth and improvement in every area of their life and I, I, i'm not talking about using an excel spreadsheet <laughs> right well right. you can get good at that it'd be easier to find someone else to to, to go do that um, so I, I think it's interesting because I, I, I personally have never looked at it as two separate things where it's a skill, the ability to do a job and the ability or desire to build a relationship as two separate things. I think I've always looked at them as it's growth in, in one bucket. I am just getting better at whatever topic it is, whether it's emotional or physical or any area of life.
0: I, I hear what you're saying, and I think it's holistic because mm-hmm. I, I maybe to you you just never seen any different, uh, and your success certainly speaks to that. You, you have been consistently successful, and you're in a in a role that ha- requires you to be holistically healthy. I believe, uh, but I think fundamentally, as a as a as a technician, you could be a great programmer, you could be a great surveyor, you can do things at a, at a skill level that that really subordinate. Um, the involvement of people, Mm -hmm. I, I think that's true. But as a business leader, as an owner, I mean an entrepreneur, there's no option for you not enrolling people. It's not a business, it's not an organization if there aren't more people in it. And so the idea of enrolling people in your vision, giving access to the vision, and all of the communication aspect of that is fundamental. But it's not fundamental to everyone's role in life, it is fundamental to the entrepreneur. So, if you're going to grow, you probably have to, even if you're good at it today, to your point, if you're good at it today, you got to be
1: better tomorrow. For sure. No doubt. Uh, Cal Newport wrote a great book, uh, one of my favorites So Good They Can't Ignore You. Yeah, Whatever you're doing, you just got to be so good that no one can ignore your. Your skill, your capability—whether it's leadership, whether it's management, whether it's the technician, the software developer in the basement—doesn't matter. Just be so good they can't ignore you. Whether you're sweeping the street or whatever.
0: Okay, so that's interesting. So I'll challenge that a little bit because yeah. I went to music school, and uh, there you, you could—I guess the idea of so good you could—I don't know because at Berklee College of Music in Boston, uh, the talent like overflows out the windows yep it's, it's they're all amazing and anywhere you go but well, I could see the difference between people who were super talented and people who were talented and capable of connecting and doing things. And so you would I would see the same drummer who was very good, maybe not the best, but very good and and he was ha- always organizing. There's always always a new band around him. And it was always uh, one of those things. And I and I would see the guy and I was like, that guy seems to have a away. And I tracked him. And the guy's in LA. He's a known guy. He's in charge of big stuff now. And it was, you know, he's easy to find. I I was like, I knew it. I knew you were going to do it. (laughs) And so there is something, there's a pragmatism. There's a ability, a holism of of your business. You have to have the sales and marketing function. You have to have the operations function. You have to have the finance function. (laughs) So if you're just so good on the operations side and you can't sell it, uh, and, and or you can't get there, and if you can't keep a, can't keep the, make can't make a living out of it, that's that's not good either. You got to have all three of those functions. And,
1: and I think that's interesting because um, I think is Ralph Waldo Emerson, and I'm paraphrasing, is that as I essentially as I walk down the street, every person I meet is my superior in some way. Yeah, and that takes you right to your sweet spot what what were you put on this earth to do and if we say that everyone has their unique role to play our job is really just to find it it's not going to be this everyone you know is kind of having to get better at all kinds of different things it's you just got to pull those strings those divine hands keep following it so you can be your unique authentic self because that's where you'll be at your best in whatever role you were meant to, to play. So that, that's how we got to here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. So you, what, what else are we missing on this EOS life? What do you want to share about EOS life that people might not intuitively get or not, not have clear by now?
1: I think it's pretty pretty clear. I mean, we we, we didn't go very uh, the linear path of of doing what you love. I think we're we're good there with people you love. That's just putting yourself. Uh, you know, talking about relationships, building relationships, building a culture with intent, surrounding yourselves who, with people who share your core values, or perhaps on the same mission. Uh, we talked about impact. Well, I, I, that's
0: a good one. I want to go back to people. Yeah. Because I uh, I had a guy on the on the show six months ago or so, Jeff Hoffman, who's a successful entrepreneur, one of the early founders of uh, one of the Pieces of Priceline and he's been very, very successful ever since then. And he, and he was interviewed on television and he had kind of that question of which more important the journey to the destination, very classic trite question. And, and he just kind of in that moment was like, no, wait, what? No, it's not either of those. It's who's on the journey with you. It doesn't matter where you go because it doesn't even matter what happens. If you've got great people on the journey with you, it's going to be a wild ride you're going to enjoy no matter what. Yeah. And I think that concept is understated. I think that we, we do a lot of work around it, but I think we, I think we leave ourselves short of the importance of that what have you done to make sure you're around the people who just are the
1: very best in the world to be hanging out with well i think there's a couple things uh and w- with the story of my background my brother and i have always been very close and and build a, a company and we merged with two partners and we had a culture we loved initially but over time It became a culture that I was not—I personally did not fit into—and it was a company I owned, right? So, (laughs) okay, so you did not fit into your own culture. I did not fit into my own culture, and so what happened was that was part of the my first QCE quarterly collaborative exchange with—I think it was about the time forty implementers in the world at the (laughs) time—and. I came to my first QC, yeah, that's right, Uh, 395 I think. For the very first time I was, I went into a room, I'm like, either I accidentally joined a cult or I'm surrounded by people who think like I do, who behave like I do and this is a place where I want to be and so I've never left since then, obviously, clearly. What that led me to was obviously selling my, my companies and, and understanding then the importance of culture, of surrounding yourself with people who think and who. And, and when I say think, I mean people who just value what you value. It's not, I mean, I absolutely uh, appreciate and believe that diversity of thought should be there and background and experience and all those different things are very, very important. But when you boil it all down to what do you hold dear? What are your values? And if you surround yourself with people who uh, believe what you believe at its core, it feels like home to you. And so that's what I experienced the very first time I, I came into the EOS community. And then to expand upon that, joining Strategic Coach, being surrounded by a bunch of other crazy entrepreneurs uh, that felt like home to me as as well, and so that that's really what surrounding yourself with people you love are really surrounding yourself who with people who either are on the same mission as you or value at its core what you value and believe what you believe at its at its core. Once you're there, you feel like you're at home and that you're meant to be. And so that that that's really what it feels like when you go into your office and you just you know it, it is who you are uh, with uh, on those journeys um, it, it matters a lot.
0: So I guess going back to that feeling of the you didn't fit your own business's culture anymore. Yeah. What would you tell people to in terms of that divine hint mm-hmm. around uh, around that feeling of so say they go to the office and. Yeah. And they're like, eh, how do they know, like, maybe I should leave this business or maybe I haven't done such a good job of curating my core values here. We need a culture upgrade because that's – I'll go back to that point. That's the question I'm asking you. If I'm your implementer and you say, like, I don't love it anymore, I'm going to say, like, are you the wrong fit or are they the wrong fit? And we got to make a decision. And you said I'm the wrong fit, which is probably not the most common answer, right? (laughs) Right. Right. So how how does somebody if somebody's going to the office and they're like I don't think I like that many of these people here which I'll bet is a very high number of business owners right now uh, how do they how do they first how, what should they do with that
1: I think you got to do some soul searching and figure out what that is and doing what's best for the business or best for yourself and you know for, for me my situation was unique in that I had or maybe not unique. I had a, a, quite a few business partners and as I was observing, it, it became the, the culture was more about money than it was about growth and prestige and status versus let's grow a big company that makes a big difference. It was best for that business that those partners continued going after the dollars versus the impact and the growth. And okay. So, it became clear there was already and i used the term institutional inertia earlier yeah there was already so much inertia down the path that i just it was untenable for me to to stay i i would also say that uh, businesses can outgrow you and your capability and your desire and so at some point in time your business sort of takes a, a life of its own and starts to create a culture of its own and you just got to know when it's time to go. I mean, just like we talked about earlier with Gino leaving U.S. Worldwide now it wasn't a cultural thing because he still comes to every quarterly collaborative and joins in with everybody else. But it was the business it's, itself outgrew what he wanted to be and do and part of his sweet spot. And so that, that's really the point that I came. So it's really just being open and honest with yourself of where you really want to go with your life. You have one life to live. It's not dress rehearsal. So if you've created something that you're not especially proud of, uh, it's okay to go. It's okay to go. Yeah. That's uh, that's awesome.
0: Time. The, the Time for other pursuits. Spe- I think that's an interesting one because I, I, I've i come to all kind of – time for other pursuits, time for other passions, whatever the P is that you want to substitute I think is kind of where this goes is make sure you are enjoying your life and, and there's a lot of ways that, that can be interpreted. Uh, what does that mean to you and, and how did how do you, have you encountered that? Yeah. Because I know you can get a little obsessive about work. <laughs> I've seen you get very busy in that time for other pursuits. Yeah. Uh, I'm betting there have been times when you have been uh, hard pressed to, to claim that you've got time for other pursuits.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, for, for me even recently and so, you know, truth be told, this is an area that I've struggled as an entrepreneur since the beginning. Um, and are you familiar with Enneagram? Yeah, in fact, I just uh, did an interview yesterday on uh, uh, on it. So, oh, awesome! Be so I'm an Enneagram a- seven, go okay. figure, which is a visionary, and I am an SP, which means a self preservationist. Hmm. Okay. So, um, essentially. Um, little bit of part of the way i grew up was we didn't have enough we didn't you know we we were poor and so deep inside my psyche is the fear that if i don't work really really hard i'm not gonna have enough and it's irrational at this point i mean it's completely irrational at this point, but it's still there. Yes,
0: I would agree with that. It is, you have enough, and it's great. It's great inspiration to watch that.
1: Yeah, so, you know, it, it's it's just a, a – but it's still built in there. And so what leads me – if I'm not taking clarity breaks and if I'm not being intentional and focused, I, I can flip the, the the work, the family, and personal care uh Method upside down where I'm putting work before everything else. And if you look at my calendar, there's times where uh, there's nothing for personal time, there's nothing for uh, health, and there's nothing for family. And and so I can easily go into that. And I've done it even recently, up to three weeks. I'm like, all right, enough is enough. I got to flip the the script around. And it goes back to doing what you love in order to, to reprioritize your time. You just got to delegate and elevate your, all the bottom two quadrants out. And that's going to free up a ton of time pretty quickly. And it's then having the intention of having free time, the time to pursue. You have the time. It's not about the time. It's about the priorities that you put into it. And so, um, one of the things that I'm doing is time blocking and saying, I give, given my assistant very specific instructions, look, personal time that's number one time to do some meditation and journaling and planning for myself. Second is family, right? Again, putting the mask on yourself first before you help the person next to you. Then family stuff comes second to that. And then all the business stuff needs to come last. And so what people will read in, in Gino's book when it comes out in September is the concept of this type of planning and, um, and, creating a work container and do, doing those types of things. So I personally just have a lot of work to do in this area. I haven't been very good mm. at it.
0: Well, so I'm, I'm assuming that like just the, just the attempt at making it better creates good, better, more, more healthy outcomes for you. Like even if you're not as good as you want to be,
1: just the attempt to create those clarity breaks, yeah, you know, is, it has a real big impact. And it's, one thing a, you, it's a capability just like, We talked about earlier, you know, having the capability to have, you know, time for your family and and play time and not be a dull person. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I have found I have found a a little uh,
0: contradiction or at least a challenge. It's a pitfall in the end when you start doing like, well, take it back. If you're not doing what you love and somebody says you need to take better care of yourself, you're like, perfect. I hate that work. Like, if you're telling me I need to do less of that, I'm in because I hate that work. Mm-hmm. But when you tap into something that is really, truly rewarding and enjoyable, it does feel like more is more. And it's like, oh, I love this. Let's do more of this. Oh, I want to be better. I need to be better. Let's get better. And then you kind of run up to the red line on doing what you love. And it feels great. So great. So great. You're not maybe paying attention to how hot the engine's getting and some of the some of the smoke coming out of the back of the, yeah, the car. Right. You're like, I just want to go faster, and it's like that car's going to blow, man. <laughs> so I definitely experienced that. I definitely had myself in in many seats and many functions and roles through my life that were learning experiences, but not really long term for me. And when I did find finally find myself in a really um, amazing, uh, this is my unique ability space, it, I found the opposite challenge. Like I, I. I it's really much harder to create the limit of like how much is enough
1: yeah Uh, I I think slowing down being more thoughtful more intentional requires space in your life and there's some great studies around when the best ideas come and I think it's only 16% of the best ideas that have been executed on and became something of, of note only sixteen percent were created during work. The rest mm. of the ideas were created during play or free time or travel. And so I, I would just I agree that you just sort of get obsessed and at some point to my point earlier, you know you start to have to think about what your motivations are for your obsession And for me uh, an irrational self-preservation uh, was really yeah. you know, part of my driver, is part of my driver, um, which I can certainly change, than it was pursuing passion. So I think there's a fine line where you start real passionate and you get a lot of energy towards something, and at some point you got to wonder why you keep going.
0: <laughs> well, here, here's what I figured out about that. And I've had so, like, so many interviews with coaches, uh, you know, inner work specialists, psychologists, and so there's this theme. And the theme is that uh, that obsession is... And that pattern, you know, that, you know it's a pattern. It happens automatically. And you nailed the point. Like it's about growth. Mm-hmm. If you're in a pattern, you're not growing. It's that simple. And right. the pattern may be very valuable, and it may have gotten you here. But if you need to get somewhere else, you may need to change the pattern. And there's only one thing that you must do. To and there's things you can do after that. But it's only one thing you must do, and that is to observe. You, if you're in the pattern, if you're burning hot, the one thing you're not doing is watching, you're doing. And so you've got to find that space somehow to watch and ask yourself, is that working? Mm -hmm. And if it's not, what would I change? And, And what would be better? And you have to have that ability to observe yourself and that's what Clarity Breaks are about. And that, you know, the Clarity Break is probably the hardest to sell tool for people who aren't doing it. You,
1: you, you, <laughs> yeah, like right.
0: It sounds crazy the first time you introduce it to some teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as it turns out, it's like the one least negotiable, most powerful tool in the whole toolbox to make sure you have that space to, sit, to ask yourself that question. It's actually two questions. What am I doing? Because sometimes you think you know and you're, and you're wrong. <laughs> and the second question is, is that serving me? Is mm-hmm. that really the right thing? And then you, that leads to the third question. Like, if not, what might I do to go more in the direction that I'm trying to do? And, and that only comes from that, that space, that observation, that clarity.
1: Yeah, taking yourself out of the, the day-to-day and, and being – so for me, uh, meditation and journaling has been just a huge uh, help um, uh, with that.
0: Well, we have covered a ton –
1: yeah. And, uh, and I'm, I think
0: this has been a great conversation. Is there anything we missed that you think we, we should fill in for the EOS Life?
1: I don't think so. I think we've covered it all. And it's about entrepreneurial freedom. It's about living a life you love. And if you execute the tools and gain the capabilities of executing those tools and grow, uh, you'll, you'll be able to, to live the EOS Life. And, it'll, and some days you will and some days you won't. And that's okay, too. <laughs> so
0: I agree. So given your experience as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. as a facilitator of hundreds of companies getting what they want from their business, and now the, the visionary of an organization whose mission is to, to really impact the entire planet in terms of entrepreneurs living their best life through l- running their best business, what is your most passionate plea to entrepreneurs right now?
1: I think it's interesting because it's an interesting question. You know, in in the midst of COVID here, and the the future being uncertain. You know, no one really knows what's going to happen, how long this is going to last, or not last, or whatever. Stay focused. Keep executing really well, and control what you can control. Think of this as an opportunity. To gain skills and capabilities that you never thought were possible, or you never thought you would do. Here at EOS, we were a whiteboard, in-person, pen and paper type company, and we went from doing maybe 150 sessions virtually with our clients uh, ever in like 19 years or something to doing 8,800 and a quarter. <sighs>
0: It's a very different situation.
1: It's a, I mean, talk, talk about the tremendous amount of capabilities that we as an organization gained in such a short amount of time. And I think we're over 12,000 full-day virtual sessions at this point, uh, four times more than any other competing organization that we know of. And that just creates a tremendous capability. And those types of opportunities are, exist in every business. You have an opportunity to reinvent, to um, just completely get better at every area of your business and your life as warren buffett said when the tide goes out it reveals those swimming naked the tide went out for most businesses and now it's time to to reinvent hunker down control what you can control Accept the fact that it's hard have the undying hope and belief that in the end you're gonna win and you will and you will and you'll be actually more capable and a better organization by the time you get there.
0: It's a great example, and I, and I, and I believe that the, the message is kind of boils down to, you know, accept and adapt. That's right. Because if, the, if there was one thing that EOS Worldwide was not going to accept before this, it would be uh, virtual sessions are good. <laughs> right. And it was like, hmm, we got a choice. <laughs> And so it it turned very quickly. All right,
1: we're going to make the best of this. And it turned out uh, to be really, really good. It really has. I mean, we've had such a big impact as I talk to implementers. There are more companies now having their best quarters ever for revenue and profit than ever before. And while yes, there's been some casualties here and there, but we've had restaurants completely transform into different types of businesses. We've had, mall kiosk companies completely change their business model and have a a small hit then become better than ever We're, we're we're seeing this the power of focus and execution and the willingness to change and adapt works um so yeah
0: well, man, I really appreciate it. that's such a great gift. Your time, your wisdom, your experience. I'm I'm super grateful for this. We've we've covered a ton. Uh, if somebody wanted to continue the conversation and, and you know, how does somebody find you, observe you in the world, uh, you know, what's the easiest way to to know where you're up to?
1: Sure. Uh, they can email me at m o donnell m o d o n n e l l at eosworldwide.com straightforward man so
0: I'm grateful it's been a great session I, I really believe this is gonna be helpful to visionaries people trying to understand the visionary uh, I think but giving some permission to be themselves uh, as visionaries uh, is I've learned a lot in this and I'm, I'm grateful for the time. Thank you. So that's it for today. Don't forget to subscribe, share with friends, make sure you leave the feedback, get this in the hands. If you've got a visionary that, you know, it doesn't really understand themselves at this point, this would be a great thing to get in their hands and, and let them kind of hear this perspective uh, and, and help them see, see themselves better. Uh, we'll see you next
1: time on you're doing it wrong with me, Mark Henderson, Mary. This is You're Doing It Wrong with Mark Henderson Leary. For more episodes and to subscribe, go to leary.cc.